It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I know a lot of people were up late last night watching that uh, college football final, and it looks as though Alabama has certainly lost. And congratulations to Georgia. 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 There's a lot going on in Georgia, including the President of the United States is going to be speaking there today while the Georgia Bulldogs come back and celebrate their first national championship since 1980. Does anyone in communications and press know what's going on? Not only is President Biden uh, have to try to get attention to a speech, which never happens in his life, now worth more than ever, even though he's president. Now he's got to try to overshadow Georgia football. Good luck with that. So let's get, oh, by the way, Dan Henniger is standing by, Alan West right after that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If Russia chooses to roll across the Ukrainian frontier and further invade Ukraine beyond the incursions it has already made, the United States will respond. We will respond with our allies and with severe sanctions. Uh, yeah, that is Jake Sullivan. Look out. He's angry. They won already. Russia getting the one-on-one time with the U.S. and NATO. Vladimir Putin has gotten more than, once this happens, with Joe Biden than any other previous president. But is it worth it if we avoid an invasion of the Ukraine? I say no, and I'll explain. Number two. It is extraordinary that yeah. the president and vice president of the United States are going to Georgia to talk about voting rights, and the most prominent Democrat and prominent voting rights groups in the state have decided not to attend. It's a joke. Willie Geist brings it up on NBC. Right to vote is being threatened by, you guessed it, Republicans. That's what the great unifier President Joe Biden will express today in Georgia, and which is why they say they have been blowing up the filibuster and you will jam federal election laws down our throats. But guess who is giving Biden the cold shoulder? You just heard it. Ms. Voting Rights herself, Stacey Abrams. What does this say about Joe Sway with his own party? Number one. I think what they're thinking is if we don't just say vaccination is everything and avoid everything else that people are going to get confused. I disagree with that. Tell the American people the way it is with some of the nuances and people will make the right decisions. So I am very disappointed. I think the messaging has been confusing. Uh, no kidding. Uh, Admiral Brett Girard was used to criticism, but at least they had a task force that was transparent and right in front. And even if people didn't like it. Get it right. Now, three years into this pandemic, we don't know how well vaccines work, why we're being mandated to get boosters, if they are even necessary at all, why tests are not easy to access, and who is actually dying from the China virus, and who's dying from something else, and they had the China virus. What are the real death numbers, hospitalization numbers? As Anthony Fauci and CDC Director Walensky go back to testify, it's about time we get honest answers. With me right now, someone who demands honesty, Dan Henniger, The Wall Street Journal, deputy editor. Uh, you see him and read him all around. Dan, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. Hey, Dan, are we going to get to the point, as we see more and more Democrats talk about opening up and living with the virus, that we're going to get real hospitalization numbers, real reasons why we don't have tests, real accountability when it comes to deaths? Well, you would think so uh, at this point, uh, but they don't seem to be willing to go in that direction. I, I'm fascinated with the public policy response to this by the Democrats, uh, Brian, because, you know, for months, Joe Biden was 
standing up there and giving these forceful speeches about I'm going to kill this virus and uh, now we're going to have these vaccine mandates and we're going to solve this problem. Uh, I, for the life of me, and this goes back a long ways here with this pandemic, I do not understand the level of certitude and self-confidence that has been expressed not only by Joe Biden, but Anthony Fauci and most of the other people in uh, the Biden public health team. This is a virus that's moving quickly. It's very difficult, we know, to get data about it. And now it has moved into the Omicron, which is even more uncertain and confusing than ever. And yet they stand up there with an extraordinary sense of certainty. And clearly the American people are recognizing this complete disconnect between the pandemic as they are experiencing it, unable to get tests, uncertain whether the tests are giving them false positives or false negatives, uh, and an administration that stands up there and keeps saying, we're under control. We have everything figured out. I think the result, Brian, is that the public is simply withdrawing its consent to the uh, being led uh, in the pandemic by the Biden administration. And you saw that, I think, the poll that was released here in the last day or so, where something like under 40 percent of the American people want the government to do something about COVID. How bad is that? It's terrible. And the thing is, we're not getting uh, honesty when it comes to uh, these vaccines and their effectiveness. We were not ahead of the variant Delta. We're not ahead of the variant uh, Omicron. We're not going to be ahead of the next one. There's no one to convince me it is. And every time you hear the president, he said, this is a uh, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Where is Jeff Zeitz? Where is his pandemic team? Why is he even answering these questions? We don't see anybody doing anything. And the word is his circle is so small and insular. They are clueless on how their programs are not working and the disdain people have on the in the general public. Yeah. And, you know, uh, part of me, I have to admit, feels a bit of sympathy for uh, the head of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, because they keep pushing her out there to explain the unexplainable. Right. And I do think that uh, as the CDC director, she's trying to uh, express something on the basis of what the CDC knows. But as I've been suggesting, it's difficult to know exactly what is happening with clarity with the pandemic, and yet they are letting her take the fall while the White House hides behind uh, Jen Psaki. Uh, Dan Hennigar, yes. Dan, what struck me about your column last week was what I really hope for the country, and that is you, you brought up Eric Adams, what he seemed to be, what he's running on. He's had done some disturbing things since he got the job. And Joe Manchin. If the, either one of those guys got elected and ran as moderates, uh, and we had some people that were somewhat open to working with the other side, the country would be in a better place. I know conservatives are abhorred by that. But there's got, we got to get to a point in this country when you lose an election, you don't lose everything. And there's a sense that when Trump loses or Bush loses or, or Hillary Clinton loses, this is not their country anymore. And that team, that type of ticket would actually live on bipartisan programs. Yeah, that's right. I was raising the possibility uh, that if you get out there to 2024, you could see uh, a Manchin-Adams ticket. Now, partly that was tongue-in-cheek, but a couple of reasons for suggesting that. One, I do think the progressive uh, agenda is collapsing before our eyes. It is being discredited, whether it's Build Back Better or identity politics, uh, school teachers striking. People have had enough of the progressive. Crime. 
And uh, but on that issue of the United States functioning, this is a serious matter. You know, and it relates to, if I may say so, what's going on with Putin in, in Ukraine or even China and Taiwan. The United States, I think, has to be seen as a, a, a functioning state, a functioning government, or our enemies begin to take advantage of it. We cannot be seen before the world as having a government that is truly dysfunctional. Because people will take advantage of that, and uh, we, we will regret it if we don't get to the point where uh, we show that uh, the government, uh, the system that we've got, is able to function. That doesn't mean just giving in to the Democrats' policies, but it does mean showing that we have a system that can function. The guy had a bipartisan deal and sat in it for four months. And then tries to jam everything down with a simple majority and blow up the filibuster. That's why Canada is having emergency meetings. What do we do if America collapses? And I was really struck by that. In terms of Joe Biden, the worst thing that could have happened to him, I think they'll write one day, is for him to win both those Georgia Senate seats. Because he was under the impression that he could be LBJ and he could be FDR. And he could do neither. He does not have those margins, nor the charisma, nor the, the popularity of, of TR. So here's Dave Ignatius on where he's at right now. Cut 33. We can't uh, read Stacey Abrams' mind, obviously, about what's going on today. But it's clear that President Biden has increasing trouble uh, with activists in his party. He has trouble on voting rights where people think he's just not being aggressive enough, that he, as Reverend Al said, he should have moved earlier, he should have moved more aggressively. He has similar problems with the Progressive Caucus. People are still furious that Build Back Better has been stalled. And so it's just a, a moment where Joe Biden's difficulties with his own party of being able to assure people he's got the numbers to get key pieces of legislation passed, I think is is becoming his, his big problem. And <laughs> Stacey Abrams, Abrams, absence, whatever it's caused, it's just a visible symbol of a president who's just not pulling his party strongly enough together. He didn't. He can't get that green agenda passed. He got the bipartisan bill passed. The one point nine trillion by conventional wisdom like Larry Summers have added to the inflation, which affects everybody, Democrats and Republicans. Then he goes down to Georgia and can't get Stacey Abrams to show up. I mean, this is this is his administration, I think, is on a respirator. They must be on a respirator. So who in their right mind would suggest that he go down to Georgia to, to give this talk, uh, especially now uh, that the Bulldogs have won the national championship? I mean, Georgia, wasn't that the state that the, uh, all of the progressives have been vilifying because of the voting rules? bill that was passing through the uh, Georgia yeah. legislature, roll or take back a little further than that. Uh, Rob Manfred pulling the all-star game out of Atlanta, damaging the economic prospects of businesses in Atlanta. Then the Braves win the World Series uh, with the people sitting there doing the tomahawk chop. Uh, man, I would think Atlanta, uh, Georgia would be the last state in the union Joe Biden would want to visit right now, but there he is. But he's going to use incendiary terms like Jim Crow 2.0. I mean, is, uh, let me, Dan, does, is, is, is there a grown-up left in Washington? Do people, try, are they trying to divide us? Well, not only is that statement inaccurate, it's, 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 it's irresponsible to use it. Yeah, this is the progressives. I mean, obviously, uh, he has filled his staff at the White House with a lot of progressives. And, you know, it's important for people to understand the distinction between them and the average Democratic liberal uh, like Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema, uh, Senator Warner from Virginia. Uh, 
The progressives are different. They are ideological. They are bloody-minded. They insist on getting their way. And I think they understand this is their one opportunity, that if they don't get this done now, they're going to be uh, unable to achieve these objectives for a generation. So they're being bloody-minded about it, and they're now beginning to take it out on the president himself. Uh, so the left, the American left, I think, is willing to go down with the ship because that's the way they conduct politics. But ultimately, uh, I think the rest of the American system comes out a winner. Uh, Democrats can get their heads handed to them for sure in the midterm election. Uh, it's impossible to imagine Joe Biden running again, no matter what he says about doing it, uh, his, health, uh, his health allows it. Uh, so they're on a kind of a, a downward slide right now. And as I, we were talking earlier, I think I think Joe Manchin's strategy is to be sitting there to pick up the pieces in three years when the Democratic Party is looking for somebody who has national uh, stature with the uh, American public. So do you really think he could get enough of the left wing of his party, Joe Manchin, to actually run for the nomination? Well, you know, you think about it, Brian, it's a it's a primary system, right? Uh, think about uh, Donald Trump running through the Republican primaries. That was, at the time was thought to be laughable. But you got to run through all 50 states in the union. And yes, the progressives would fight uh, Joe Manchin tooth and nail. But they're not the only people who vote in all those 50 states. They may be in California, New York, Illinois and so forth. But I think he could make it competitive. I would love it. Uh, I think the country would be better off if you had a reasonable Democrat rather than a radical Democrat who wants to and dislikes the country and needs to make some radical change. Uh, or it could be Michelle Obama, who now seems to want to get active uh, before the midterms. Yeah. Uh, my last uh, my last question to you is just to your I, your thoughts on the fact that Donald Trump a year ago uh, couldn't have been worse. Uh, he was he's, uh, some measure responsible for the loss of those two Senate seats. And then you had the January 6th without his speech, even though the biggest Trump supporter would say there's obviously no raid on the Capitol. Took forever to say anything. And then he gets kicked off social media. How do you explain his comeback? Well, I think his comeback is in part. uh, It's like the kind of the strange uh, polling that happened around January 6th where more and more Republicans are reluctant to say that um, Trump was responsible for it, and they certainly don't believe it was an insurrection. But I think it is in great part a function of what you were just describing, the incredible polarization in our politics and the fact that the Democrats so insistently politicize everything and uh, insisted through January 6th that one way or another, that event, that the select committee hearing was somehow going to hang Donald Trump out to dry. And so I think there are a lot of independents and Republicans out there who just resent that, because ultimately the argument is Donald Trump is anathema. Anybody who votes for him is anathema. Republicans are the people who vote for him. Therefore, any serious American, you can't possibly vote for Americans, uh, vote for Republicans. People hate that, Brian, and they fight back against it. Yep. And I think as a result, Trump's uh, status is uh, rising once again. And I think, you know what, even some of the things he did with the pandemic don't seem nearly as crazy. Uh, obviously, when the economy, obviously looking at China, 
Obviously, uh, the Russia policy, whatever you thought, was a hell of a lot better than what we got right now. He certainly would think we're better walking away from the, the Iranian deal. I don't feel better in the Paris Accord. So the, a lot of the stuff that he ended up was doing stands is standing well in the test of time. I think that has something to do with it, too. Dan, great column. I, I just hope some Democrats read it because the country would be a lot better off if they could have some sober, moderate Democrats run for their nomination. Thank you. One can always hope, Brian. Good Absolutely. When we come back to your calls, I hope you're there. one 408 And then we'll have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think they're trying, you know, I think what they're thinking is if we don't just say vaccination is everything and avoid everything else that people are going to get confused. I disagree with that. Tell the American people the way it is with some of the nuances and people will make the right decisions. So I am very disappointed. I think the messaging has been confusing and the leadership has been chaotic. And that's why Americans are struggling to know what to do for themselves and their families. I mean, think about it. They can't even order tests. And, and now, you're, now you're telling me masks don't work, but I have to get more expensive masks. Alec, listening online in Illinois. Hey, Alec. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, I just wanted to say thanks for, real quick because you've taken my call a few times now, so I, I appreciate that. All right. So what's on your mind? You're, you're talking about COVID-19. I know one thing good news yeah, is yeah. Chicago kids it's are going really, back to school. No, uh, It's really bad in the Chicago area right now, Brian. I was just in a restaurant in Cook County, and I was complying. Now, they asked me to put on a mask, and I was wearing my mask, but I was complaining about it. I guess either the, the owner of the restaurant or somebody overheard me. He cursed me out and threw me out the restaurant. <clears throat> well, I don't know how uh, obstructive you were. I will know this. There are some people, especially on airlines, some of these uh, flight attendants, that are belligerent. They'll say, I need it over a certain amount of a portion of your nose. Excuse me, as you can you put it on quicker after you put down your water? I mean, that type of stuff just promotes division. But guess what? It comes from the White House when they say this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Put on your mask and you watch a president walking alone on the beach with his dog with a mask on or conducting a press conference with it on outdoors. They go against almost everything that they say and love to create anger. Uh, in our society, intentionally or not. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. 
It's Brian Kilmeade. A study of 1.2 million people who were vaccinated between December and October and demonstrated that severe disease occurred in about 0.015% of the people who were, um, received their primary series and death in 0.003% of those people. The overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really, these are people who were unwell to begin with. And yes, really encouraging news in the context of Omicron. This um, means not only just to get your primary series, but to get your booster series. Um, and yes, we're really encouraged um, by these results. So people got on her because it seems like she was kind of saying, good, if you have comorbidities, you should die. That's not the case. She obviously has communication issues. She's extremely bright. Seems like a nice person. But she's alone. I mean, she should have five, six people around her at all times. And she should not be bypassing our advisory board when she makes these decisions. Uh, With me right now is Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, Texas governor, uh, gubernatorial candidate, former congressman from Florida. He also is running the Texas GOP. Uh, for a while. Colonel, I was stunned by this statement. We keep asking for these numbers. How many people buy, die with the coronavirus and how many die because of it? And now we turned out that most have four comorbidities? Yeah, absolutely right. And it's good to be with you, Brian. And that's something that really uh, has been out there floating around for quite some time, going all the way back to 2020. We know that obesity, uh, heart disease, uh, high blood pressure, and also diabetes are very much so contributing factors to uh, you having a detrimental result if you have the COVID, being it the original, the Delta, or now the Omicron. So I think that what we need to start asking is, when we look at the numbers, how many people are dying because of this uh, virus, and how many people are just dying with it? You know, when you talk about hospitalizations, how many people are in the hospital uh, because of this virus, or how many people are there I think that we'd be very surprised, like we just saw with Dr. Lewinsky, if we're honest with understanding those numbers. So it matters so much because if you questioned anything under President Biden, it was you're crazy. What's wrong with you? And if if you agreed with anything Trump was doing, you're crazy. There's something wrong with you. And it turns out that a lot of the stuff Trump was doing, the country has come around to. Number one, stop with all the testing, the unnecessary testing. Trump was never for the mandates. At the very least, 50 percent of the country, probably more now, are against the mandates as we get to the booster. And now they're coming up with a shot specifically for Omicron. How soon do we have to take that to get to the basketball game? Uh, How soon do we have to get that to get to work? Who knows if you're a hospital worker? So people are beginning to sober up to a lot of the policies that took place before. And that is get back to school and get back to work, right? No, you're absolutely right. This, again, is about power control, and it's about the continuous fear-mongering of getting people to believe that uh, they have to succumb to these mandates, these edicts and orders and the decrees that are out there. Look, last night you saw, what, how many, 75, 80,000 people at the uh, college football national championship game, go dogs. And, you know, if you believe everyone that is out there, that's a super spreader event. But you saw many people that were there without any masks. Uh, And I think that the American people want to get back to some semblance of normality. And it's about this language. I mean, now all of a sudden, everyone's saying, well, we have this amount of new cases or whatever. People are going to get sick. People are going to catch a cold. People are going to have a runny nose or a cough or whatever. But we should not go into this constant state of emergency because of such.
Kimberly Strassel said this with the Wall Street Journal, and I thought this is so true. One of the easiest things to do is order something that's been made already, like tests. Fill out an invoice. No excuse for this. We're not asking you to come up with a test. The Trump administration had to do that, and of course they had the wrong test first. Hard to blame a president for that, but his CDC did not have the right test. Here's what she said about what we're going through right now. Cut 10. The numbers that really should matter are those about how many people are actually going to the hospital uh, with this and ending up on ventilators um, and, and, and questions like you were asking the CDC director. And weirdly, that's the information we're not getting. Uh, most of the data we're getting is a bunch of noise. Um, and you have some European countries now thinking of stepping back from this, because if we are going to have to live with this as a new normal, uh, this testing situation can't continue the way it is. And, you know, so and the thing is, they're now talking about a shot every year. Now they're saying a shot every six months. Now they're saying a booster every three months. The most compliant country can't do this. You can't do that in Luxembourg, let alone America. No, you're absolutely right. And I think, again, it comes back to why is it the government is trying to force upon us one single option? It's kind of like, uh, you know, the single option healthcare is all about the government. So uh, why aren't we talking about those therapies, those treatments, those protocols out there that people can have a selection of? And, you know, I go back to when my wife and I had the COVID, we had the monoclonal antibody uh, therapy treatment. I did have traces of pneumonia in my lungs. I went into the hospital, and in 48 hours I was out because I was on the bedesonide nebulizer treatments. So why are we talking these things up, which are a whole lot uh, expensive, less expensive, but yet we see the government that is restricting the ability for those uh, treatments like the monoclonal antibodies to be out there to the public. We see that happening in Florida, and even here in Texas we have some uh, issue with the availability of monoclonal uh, treatment therapies. Uh, real quick, I want to cuff on you. I know you uh, in the military for, for uh, over th- almost three decades. Now we have a situation where our diplomatic corps is working overtime to try to stop Russia from invading the Ukraine. Here's Jake Sullivan, Cut 37. Yeah. If Russia chooses to roll across the Ukrainian frontier and further invade Ukraine beyond the incursions it has already made, the United States will respond. We will respond with our allies and with severe sanctions. Will that be enough of a deterrent? The Russians say that aggravates them to think that we would put sanctions on them. Well, think about this. Uh, When was the last time they made those incursions into Ukraine? And that was during the Obama-Biden administration. And now they're going to look at continuing those incursions in the Biden-Harris administration. So Ronald Reagan had a great term. It was called peace through strength. We're not showing uh, any type of strength, the ability to be a strong deterrent. And what they saw happen with the unilateral withdrawal in the middle of the night, uh, if you want to put it that way, in Afghanistan and leaving 80 to $85 billion of military equipment there, this is enticing. This is encouraging. And so I think that after the Olympics, you can hear the rhetoric from China uh, towards Taiwan is going to pick up as well. Uh, you're running for governor of Texas. You have some of these George Soros-funded district attorneys there wreaking havoc, yeah. uh, first and foremost, Houston. What do you do if you're governor of this? When they get, when they get elected fairly, how do you, how do you react? 
Well, I think one of the things you look at is, uh, and we have it in Dallas County, Harris County, uh, Bear County, and Travis County, which is where Austin is. Well, you've got to look at the Texas State Constitution with uh, state judges. Uh, the governor can initiate impeachment uh, actions against state judges that are releasing these violent criminals. But from the district attorney uh, perspective, we've got to look at how we can hold them in contempt of the rule of law. And I think that's how you work with the attorney general's office. But then again, you go out and recruit candidates to make sure that they run against them. All right, uh, Colonel, how's it going? It's going incredibly well. Our polling is strong. Uh, we're in the, the, the poll position, if you want to put it that way, going into the primary. But we've got to stay vigilant. We've got to stay focused. Uh, the early voting will start in about 34 days, the 14th of February, and the actual uh, primary election is the 1st of March. And you can go to west4texas.com. So I know the, the president and, and Governor Abbott get along. I know you and the president get along, uh, especially when you got in your motorcycle accident, President Trump was one of the first to contact you. Um, yeah. Where does he stand with your nomination? Well, the president uh, endorsed Governor Abbott prior to my getting in. It was about, uh, I think, three weeks or so prior. So uh, I've not heard from President Trump. And the thing is, I'm focused on rectifying the situations and the problems that we see here in Texas, namely the border, because, as you know, during the Christmas holiday season, we had five to six uh, airplanes take off out of Texas with illegal immigrants, and they landed in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, Pennsylvania Airport. So we cannot continue to uh, push human and sex trafficking across the United States of America. That's what's happening out of Texas. All right. Uh, governor, uh, uh, he wants to be the next governor of Texas. Alan West, thanks so much. God bless. Take care, Brian. All right. 1-866-408-7669. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls. Uh, we also want to expand on something else that you can really resonate with, and that's crime. Uh, and we and we have this situation in Manhattan where people uh, in New York City, uh, the most populated borough, Manhattan, has a DA that basically is going to go soft on crime. And we've seen some horrific crimes even over the last 48 hours. A 62-year-old woman was just beat senseless. Uh, on the uh, subway platform last night on 96th Street, and she was beat there because she had a phone, and it's no longer hers. That's caught on camera, but we didn't catch the guys. And then we watched a 19-year-old be murdered on her 1 o'clock shift in Burger King. She gave the guy what she wanted, $100. That's all they had, and he turned around and shot her dead. That's the stuff that never used to happen or rarely happened in New York. Now it's it's like a police blotter when I open up the New York Post. It's got to stop. This district attorney will stand in his way. It's He's so bad, the new police chief is calling him out. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I heard the president say, <laughs> Google COVID test near me. So... Somebody isolating with COVID, I did that. And the appointments everywhere were completely jammed. So why is it that you guys were so unprepared for the need for testing after the holidays? Well, Peter, I'm happy to see you back and well. Um, I would second say that there has been a massive surge in cases, as you know, and we're a part of in D.C. and New York. And there's been an unprecedented, and other parts of the country as well, there's been an unprecedented demand for tests. I would just note where we have come from. If you look to a year ago, there were no tests, or maybe one, depending on the timeline, that was available on the market. Now we have nine. If you look to about a year ago, there was about 900,000 or maybe slightly higher tests that were being issued 
uh, every day. Now we're about 10 or 11 million. 300 million tests are done in this country every month. So there's enormous progress being made. What Do you realize she indicted herself? So now you have all these different tests from all these different companies that could have been produced and put out on all these different shelves in all these different cities, and they haven't done it. And if you're not prepared for the next variant, I'm listening to all these experts on a nightly basis. They all said that after one comes another variant, another variant. We just don't know what that would be like. And then we find out for the vice president that we're surprised by Delta and that we were surprised to find Omicron, even though Anthony Fauci said that's not true. I, I believe it is true. I'm Judging by your actions, you look totally surprised by uh, Delta. You look totally surprised by Omicron. You still are. So you don't have close to enough, even though you say you've had nine separate Tests done. They went on. Cut three. The tests you're talking about, though, require people to go somewhere and either make an appointment or wait in line. The CDC's guidance is if you think you have COVID, you're supposed to stay home. You guys said you were going to mail free tests to people that need them. The president's there on television talking about a winter of severe illness and death. While he's saying that publicly, why weren't you guys doing more to prepare for the winter? Well, Peter, everyone decides where they're going to go get a test, and uh, we, we make a range of options available. You can also purchase tests online. Later today, we'll have more details on how 150 million Americans who have health insurance can get reimbursed for tests. Think about that. She says you won't get it online. No, you can't. Uh, you might be able to get them delivered whenever the supply chain will deliver them, wherever they can find them. If you can't get them on the shelves, you're not going to get them online, and especially a timely matter. And then when you do have to leave, you have to leave, go to a, a, a Walgreens, or you have to go to a tent, a pup tent on that corner, and you got to go uh, wait online. you got to get tested. Then you got to wait at least a week. It's unbelievable that that's the situation. And now, to show it's avoidable, think about what's happening. They say within three weeks we're gonna, all going to get tested at home. Really? You really believe that we just came up with the packaging, there's been some slowdown, that they were in the works anyway? Absolutely not. What they're also doing and getting pressure, and thanks mostly to you and your outrage, is the remedies, the therapeutics are now being rushed forward, and the mono, uh, monoclonal antibodies are the ones now being pushed out that they were reined in because they claim that only one of the antibody versions of the three were effective. But a lot of people would say, well, you know what? If I could get these, maybe it works on me since there's no universal truths when it comes to tests, when it comes to the protection vaccine gives you and the boosters give you. Listen, they're talking about the vaccines only working for six months. We're all coming up on a year. Now we're going to have to go get this shot again. You watch. And then they're going to say the booster. And look out. Now they're coming up. Pfizer says they're going to be done with an Omicron shot in March. So now they're going to say, listen, I, I'd love for you to be able to go and watch uh, the Knicks play the Hawks. But unfortunately, you don't have a booster, an Omicron shot. Uh, it looks like your vaccine has expired. That's where it's heading. Dr. Scott Atlas saw the corruption in this, saw the fact that these things were not being accurately recorded, saw that the hospitalizations were being listed under COVID when they're in for maybe a sprained ankle. And if they tested positive for COVID, they're simply a COVID patient. He had his career almost ruined. It wasn't. So he left Stanford, helped out President Trump, sided with President Trump on a lot of things, which left him as an outlier. Cut six. Cut, excuse me. Yeah, cut six. The people in the task force didn't understand, didn't know, or simply denied the facts. We know now it's two-thirds of deaths of Americans from COVID are people with six or more 
comorbidities. Yet the message was out there that anybody with hypertension, high blood pressure, was at high risk for COVID. That was false. We knew that. I showed the papers to the people on the task force back in the summer of 2020. By the way, they didn't just deny it or didn't know it. They simply said, I was an outlier and kept repeating this information. So we have to remember, these people were not only, as you say, uh, incompetent. I was stunned. There was a moral bankruptcy, a complete failure of public health leadership, which continues today because these people don't take it upon themselves to know the data and to say it truthfully. This guy, Jeff Zeitz, I think that's how you say his name, head of the pandemic task force, has to be fired. He's failed on every level. Uh, The person in charge of the supply chain, I noticed, call me up now. Uh, These shelves are still empty, even though the president told us he solved that problem and saved Christmas. Who would have thought that he wasn't telling us the truth or they weren't telling him the truth? They got to be let go. And that that expertise exam, that that expertise uh, circle around the president of the United States got to be expanded. And Anthony Fauci needs to be fired. You will see it today. I trust that there's another lawmaker who will question Anthony Fauci with vigor and with facts and probably call him out for the failure which he is. Dave, listen to WVMT in Vermont. Dave. Thanks for letting me on your program, even though I haven't gotten a jab. I just want to talk (laughs) about the CDC. Uh, Spokesman coming out there the other day and saying 75% of the deaths due to COVID were to people with at least four comorbidities. Right. We know how they like to cherry pick their numbers. So which which he's come out and said, well, one study showed that. We don't know how big the study was. But now Walensky's walking it back like she does everything. But a lot of times she tells the truth and has to walk it back. Well, it said more than 75%. So how much more? They said at least four comorbidities. I mean, what is that? Diabetes? cancer. I can't even think of that many. Well, let's listen. Uh, Next hour, if you're able to stay with us, I hope you are, I'm going to play it. Uh, You'll hear exactly what she said. Now what they do is after they take, how humiliating, after this CNN reporting, they decide to send her to media training. What a humiliation. Listen, I'm not a biggest fan, but clearly she's smart and clearly she's a nice person. She is all alone in that administration. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. I come to you from a desolate New York. Many people are still staying home. I am in studio. Sorry, everybody. Uh, and at the bottom of the hour, we'll go to a simulcast with Barney and Company. Stuart Barney also in studio. David Drucker is going to be with us shortly, senior correspondent, the Washington Examiner, author of a new book, uh, In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for 2024, The Future of the GOP. I was fascinated by a poll one year after January 6th and losing two Senate races, which he played a role in uh, the, both disasters. The president has come almost all the way back. He's at 43 percent approval rating and he's not on social media. David Drucker has been inside. He's going to talk about that. I do not know where he stands on this, but according to the story that I read, I believe in The Washington Post, it looks as though every Trump staffer, friend, ally is glad he's off social media. 153 million people cut off and the president benefited. 
A lot to talk about. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If Russia chooses to roll across the Ukrainian frontier and further invade Ukraine beyond the incursions it has already made, the United States will respond. We will respond with our allies and with severe sanctions. Uh, Here we go. Jake Sullivan. I'm so glad he's in charge. They won already. Russia getting into the one-on-one time with the U.S. and NATO. Vladimir Putin has gotten more more from Joe Biden than any other previous president. But is it worth it if we avoid an invasion of Ukraine? I say no, and I'll explain. Number two. It is extraordinary that the president and vice president of the United States are going Mm -hmm. to Georgia to talk about voting rights, and the most prominent Democrat and prominent voting rights groups in the state have decided not to attend. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, that even NBC has picked that up. Right to vote is being threatened by, you guessed it, Republicans. That's what the great unifier President Joe Biden will express today in Georgia, which is why they say they have blowing up. Uh, they are blowing up the filibuster and they have no choice. It will jam federal election legislations down America's throats. But guess who is giving Biden the cold shoulder? Ms. Voting Rights herself, Stacey Abrams. Yes, the uh, the. Uh, Many African-American groups. What does this say about Joe Sway with his own party? Number one. I think what they're thinking is if we don't just say vaccination is everything and avoid everything else that people are going to get confused. I disagree with that. Tell the American people the way it is with some of the nuances and people will make the right decisions. So I am very disappointed. I think the messaging has been confusing. It has been. Admiral Girard talked about it. He was handling a brand new virus. And did so much better than these guys. Get it right. Now, three years into the pandemic, we don't know how well the vaccines work, why we're being mandated to get boosters, if they're even necessary, why tests are not easy to access, who is actually dying from the China virus, and what are the real death numbers, hospitalization numbers. As Anthony Fauci and CDC Director Walensky go back to testify, it's about time we get some honest answers, wouldn't you think? David Drucker with us, senior correspondent with The Examiner, author of In Trump's Shadow. Uh, David, are you surprised we still have so many legitimate questions as it relates to COVID-19? Not necessarily. It's a very new disease. China, where it originated, is a closed-off authoritarian regime. It's not going to be transparent, will never be transparent. The disease keeps changing on us. We know so much more. We actually are able to vaccinate and treat it uh, with with, uh, therapeutics. But this is a, a an issue that keeps evolving. And then, you you know, you mix in politics and people on both sides of the aisle approach this differently. Um, so the information sometimes seems conflicting. Sometimes it's wrong. Sometimes it's manipulated. Sometimes people just don't know what to think. Look, I'm a news consumer and I'm a reporter at the same time. I read for a living and I just try to find out what's going on, both so I can be accurate, and fair, and so I know what to do for my family. And even I don't always understand what it is I'm reading and what it is I should believe, not not as a matter of trust, just because some of the information right. conflicts with, it, with itself. couple of things. It would help if you're upset that China's not being transparent. Go after them. And when you talk to the Chinese leader a few times, why don't you just bring it up? Number two, it's hard. Is it that hard to order tests, tests that were created before you took office, especially when you promised it for everyone? And do you think that it's okay for the CDC to buy, buy, bypass and the FDA their advisory board? Well, the, the, look, these are all legitimate complaints uh, for how the Biden administration has been handling COVID. It's hard to tell exactly how they're dealing with China. There, there, there are different ways 
You can deal with China that could be effective. The Chinese are very big on saving face. Publicly going after Xi Jinping would be very cathartic and satisfying. I think sometimes it's useful. Sometimes it might be counterproductive. But there are so many other gaps here that the administration is trying to deal with. Uh, clearly, the American people don't feel that they have a handle on this. The president has not been able to satisfy his, members of his own party, his base in particular, that wants him to be more aggressive uh, with vaccine mandates, with testing mandates, and with other uh, ways to deal with the virus in a way that many Americans, probably a majority when you look at polling, are not necessarily interested, never mind where, where Republicans are. I don't really believe his party wants to be tougher on mandates holistically anymore. I think there's, there's some backlash to that. Uh, when it comes to voting, that's what the president's going to be talking about today. He's going to be talking about that in Georgia. And he's going to be saying it's, it's Jim Crow 2.0 and that if you care about minorities, uh, especially blacks, you will stand up and agree with me that we needed massive voting rights legislation reform. Uh, but yet he is missing Stacey Abrams and a lot of other civil rights leaders. And he's doing it on the same day that Georgia wins the national championship. Uh, we knew they were playing this game a long time ago. It was pretty clear Georgia was going to be in it. Uh, is this good timing? And what do you think the attendance says about this legislation? Yeah, well, a couple of things. I mean, I, I'll forgive the administration's planners for thinking Alabama was going to win that game. And congratulations to the Bulldogs. I've got a lot of friends down there, and, and they're thrilled. It's been 40 years since their last national title. I think the problem that President Biden has is he does not have the political capital uh, to move Americans and members uh, of the of his own party, let alone the opposite party, the opposing party, on an issue like this. And then there's the issue of whether or not Americans see this as a priority. You know, if you poll the issue of voting rights and reform, you're probably going to find a majority of Americans say, oh, yeah, voting rights, that's good. Reform, that's good. But when you look at what Americans are most in, most concerned about today, they're most concerned about inflation, they're most concerned about covid uh, they don't place this on high as the, the issue they won't must want, most want dealt with. Finally, look, you can throw all of that out because politicians can pursue whatever they believe in, whatever they think is a priority, and try and move the American people along. But Joe Biden has a 50-seat majority in the Senate that relies on a tiebreaker, and he does not have members of his own party on board to change, to break the rules of the Senate, to change the rules of the Senate, to nuke the filibuster, essentially, and reduce the 60-vote threshold. And so this really appears to be an exercise in futility that is going to dispirit his own base when he can't deliver something that is nearly impossible to deliver in any event. And look, if his numbers were better, I think you'd see more Democrats showing up in Georgia to be with him for this speech. If prospects for passage existed, they'd show up to be a part of this. Makes you wonder why they would even put him on the clock. So in the big picture – uh, the president of the United States, one year after the worst day, obviously, for the Republicans in his party, January 6th, which at the very least, if it wasn't for his speech, his rally and saying march over the Capitol and be heard, it wouldn't they wouldn't have had a January 6th in, um, uh, incursion into the Capitol. Number two is lost both Senate seats. If you don't believe Trump was majority um, uh, played a role in that, you know, he played some role in giving people the sense that they should not show up and vote. Having said that, he was minus 20. The latest poll says he's minus nine and has 43 percent approval rating, despite not being on social media and despite uh, all those things I just mentioned. How do you explain that? 
Well, very interesting. And by the way, Brian, when I interviewed uh, the former president for In Trump's Shadow, he acknowledged that he was a part of what happened to the Republicans in Georgia in those special Senate elections on January 5th. He didn't run away from it or say it was somebody else's fault. He, he told me, look, people were angry. They didn't want to vote. And he acknowledged he could have urged them to uh, show up and that he really didn't want to. Uh, look, I think when you look at how divided of a country that we are and you look at how un- – dissatisfied so many voters are with the current sitting president, it does not surprise me that the biggest figure in the Republican Party um, has got himself back to where he always was, which was anywhere from you know, 39 to 45% in public uh, approval rating polls, and that that's where things sit right now. And being off of social media, it's really it's a, it's a salient point that you raise. It helps him. Because so much of what exhausted uh, independent swing voters, soft Republicans, Republicans who liked his policies but didn't like the way he conducts himself, so much of what reminded them about that every day was his Twitter habit. Now, I know how well it worked for him in 2016. Uh, Nobody disputes that. But over time, it wore thin because he was no longer just a candidate. He was the president, and he's now a former president. He may be president again. People want a little bit different from presidents than candidates, and the Republican coalition that wins has to include voters that are going to like his policies but not like the way Trump tends to behave on social media. So do you think when he says Mitch McConnell's got to go and he's one of the most powerful Republicans uh, and there are some people out there that are against him – He could unify the party enough in order to uh, get the nomination and win an election? Well, look, when you look at Pauly now, I mean, he may win the nomination if he runs again just by the force of who he is and his support with the basic party. But to win a general election generally, you need to unify all key aspects of the party. And opposing mainstream Republicans who do not do everything he wants – In and of itself, opposing Mitch McConnell may not be a problem, but if it's indicative of the former president as a candidate again uh, going to war with that element of his party, it's not helpful to him. Does it mean he absolutely can't win? No, it doesn't mean that, but he makes it that much harder. He needs those Republicans who voted for Joe Biden in 2020 in in Virginia and then voted for Glenn Youngkin for governor of Virginia in 2021. The, The voters that still don't like Trump but like Republicans, were willing to vote for them. And if he could bring them all together, he's got a much better chance of winning a general election and possibly winning a popular vote. He blasted Mike Rounds on Monday for what he said Sunday. Here it is. Could you support President Trump if he runs again? I'll take a hard look at it. Uh, personally, what, what I've told people is, is I'm going to support the Republican nominee to be president. I'm not sure that the eventual nominee has even shown up yet. There's still over two years to go. We're, we're, we're going to focus on the, uh, the next election cycle. It's critical that we take back the House. It's critical that we take back the United States Senate. And doing and based upon that, then we'll decide who our nominee for president is going to be. So that uh, got the president's ire. Um, you say it doesn't. What is your response to that? Well, look, I mean, <laughs> Donald Trump is always going to respond to critics, uh, even if there are people we've never heard of, let alone a sitting United States senator. That's just who he is as part of his brand. I, I, I think he would be in a better political position if he just let some of this roll off his back, if he stopped claiming the election was stolen, 
and focused all of his energy on 22, all of his energy on opposing uh, the Democratic agenda, which he clearly, you know, does not like, and, and who can blame him? Um, but a lot of Republicans are going to look ahead to 2024, and I talked about this in In Trump Shadow, and look at a range of candidates. If Trump runs, he'll obviously the big, be the biggest one. But if he doesn't, there are at least 14 or 15 viable candidates that can run viable campaigns. And I think Republicans, many Republicans, and even some voters I've talked to, would love to turn the page with a candidate that continues Trump's legacy on the policy front that does not try and bring the party backward, but maybe inject some fresh leadership in there. So who are these people that you believe belong uh, in the first or in the uh, A group uh, in his shadow? Well, the the six that I profiled in depth and in Trump's shadow are Senators Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton, uh, and Marco Rubio, and then Nikki Haley, former Vice President Mike Pence, and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. But you got to include Florida Senator, Florida Governor, excuse me, Ron DeSantis. Possibly take a look at Texas Governor Greg Abbott, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, possibly Florida Senator Rick Scott. Um, you can't dismiss Chris Christie as a figure, although I don't see him necessarily as Bruce Tier to win the nomination, but he knows how to attract media attention, and he's done this before. Um, and and there are others, but off the top of my head, from from my list, those are the ones that that I looked at uh, quite closely. Right. So there's a lot of talent uh, on the right bench, no question. And I don't really see it on the left. And that's not a partisan statement. I, I think it actually is a fact. Uh, so I, I I agree with you on that. I think that's a problem Democrats have is the lack of a bench that is ready to run for president. You know, they have some some members of the House of Representatives in swing districts that could make good national candidates one day. But you don't run from the House. It hasn't been done since the 18th century, at least 19th century, at least not successfully. And they have they have a problem at the top. They do. Uh, David, real quick, your impression when you went to visit the president, former president. You know, it was interesting. Um, when you meet with him in person, he's very cordial. He's very attentive. He's, he's mostly extremely transparent. Um, he seemed at ease. Um, but you also end up, and I'm sure you've experienced this, Brian, kind of getting your own private Trump rally. He's quieter. He's not in front of a mic with thousands of people. Um, but I, I was sort of just surprised at how candid he was about his behavior in the post-election period, the fact that he didn't run away from his impact on the Georgia Senate races. And, you know, at the time that I interviewed him, I, I suppose he could be saying it just for effect that he thinks the election was stolen. But he seemed to me like it's something that he believes and um, that that it's not something he's necessarily doing to raise money or to keep his his uh, right. supporters happy. Gotcha. Uh, David Drucker, pick up his book in Trump's shadow, the battle for the 2024 and the future of the GOP. David, thank you. Thanks so much, Brian. Appreciate it. You got it. When we, when we come back, we open up the phones. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Honest commentary. Unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
a study of 1.2 million people who were vaccinated between December and October and demonstrated that severe disease occurred in about 0.015% of the people who were, um, received their primary series and death in 0.003% of those people. The overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really these are people who were unwell to begin with. And yes, really encouraging news in the context of Omicron. This um, means not only just to get your primary series, but to get your booster series. Um, and yes, we're, we're really encouraged um, by these results. Yeah, right. We'll just keep getting boosters and shots. And what she was saying is a study about a thousand people, uh, there was 36 deaths and 75% of those 36 had comorbidities. That's a controversy. Pat, listen on WTRC. Hey, Pat. Hi, Brian. Um, I was listening to Jen Psaki say that the reason we have no test is because more people are coming down with COVID. I don't believe that's true because I got very sick right after the first of the year, and I couldn't get a test anywhere within two weeks in my local area. I drove out of my area, sat four hours in my car, sick as can be, and there's tons of people there who have no symptoms. Yeah, because all the mandates, that's it. How are you feeling now? I'm feeling much better. I had a, I, I was negative, and I ended up with a sinus infection. All right, awesome. Uh, Pat, thanks so much. So, sorry I had to do that, but it's the story of the entire nation. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's a benefit that Stacey Abrams is not there because remember, this is a woman who was defeated for governor three years ago and refuses to acknowledge, refuses to concede, saying the election was illegitimate. How do you like being the president of the United States and the vice president having a big lie spreader standing next to you? The election was stolen from me three years ago. I think these voter groups are sending a message maybe to, to Biden. But I think the bigger message is Senate Democrats, pay attention. We're fed up with the president, which means we're even angrier with you. Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, uh, Mark Kelly of Arizona, who's expressed doubts about killing the filibuster. John Tester of, Minnesota, of Montana, who said, I think we need to keep the 60-vote rule in place. Uh, they're sending a message to those senators, and I don't think it's going to work. I do not think a credible case has been made that is going to cause these four members and others to blow up the 60-vote requirement in order to pass this bill. Remember, the Democrats used the 60-vote margin over 250 times during the Trump administration. In, in, I think it was even in one year in order to stop things from happening in the Senate. They're not going to give it up uh, so easily for something that had been so poorly argued and laid out to the American it, people. It is. So there's a few things going on. One thing Republicans agree on. And that is, uh, let's change the way the Electoral College final results are tallied. When it's done, it's done. Let's not have this ceremonial thing where the vice president shows up or the sitting vice president shows up and gavels in the official election because he or she can't control the total. So why even put him there? So let's not even uh, bait the people into another January 6th next time for Democrats or Republicans. Let's not even say it. Don't even think for a second that the vice president cannot say the Electoral College and gavel in state after state after state. We watch some of the people put up their you probably didn't see it, but it's out there. A vice president, Joe Biden, trying to gavel in Donald Trump and Mike Pence. And he kept getting objected by all these Democrats. Finally had to yell at these Democrats, go, stuff, enough, quiet down. He's the president. He's the vice president. This is the electoral college, president-elect. 
uh, and that's it. So they agreed on that, but he won't do that. Mitch McConnell says, I'll, I'll vote on that. Republicans go along with it. We don't think that uh, we even need that informal vote. We'll reform the way electoral college votes are tallied. So they don't want that. What they want is holistic election reform and that includes that, not just that. So he said, well, we're not going to get any Republican votes because I'll blow up the filibuster. Really? Well, the problem is you don't have you don't even have 50 votes. And to blow up the filibuster is exactly what Karl Rove just said. In a year, you could lose the Senate less than a year. You could lose the Senate. And then you could lose. You're definitely going to lose the House. And then there's six. You heard our or David Drucker segment. Nobody denies there's a legitimately 15. We didn't even mention Senator Josh Hawley uh, and others that are going to try to run for president. Legitimate people that can get their uh, candidacy funded. There's an excellent chance they're going to lose the White House. And if they lose both, forget it. All bets are off. So that's why voting reform uh, is dying an ugly death. That's why Build Back Better is dying an ugly death. They cannot get the votes to pass it. Uh, and, and because they don't want to blow up the filibuster because people know what's next could be a disaster for the party. Maybe in the future, there'll be a simple majority. that will be running things in the Senate. So here's uh, I want you to hear Jonathan Lemaire of MSNBC. He talked about this. There are some Democrats opposing the filibuster change. Cut 32. He is not going to call for a full-scale elimination of the filibuster, but right. he is going to endorse a carve-out for voting rights. The furthest he's gone so far, but perhaps not far enough for a lot of these civil rights groups who have expressed real unhappiness that this has been about rhetoric and not action. Now, his hands yeah. are tied because of the Senate, right. and there it's not just Manchin and Cinema. A number of other Democratic senators, Tester and Coons, others have expressed privately some reluctance to go for a full change to the filibuster right. for fear of what Republicans could do with it were they to regain right. No kidding. I mean, of, of course what Republicans can do with it. Of all people, Joe Scarborough waiting, cut 31. I find it fascinating what she perceives Joe Biden's political standing to be in the state of Georgia right now. That she's not showing up in an event that was custom made for her. She is the one who's the champion of voting rights. She is the one that helped Joe Biden win the state of Georgia. She is the one I think that most people look at as as being... Uh, on the forefront of everything he's talking about today, all the more reason you would think she would be there unless she thought it didn't help her campaign running for governor of Georgia. True. And remember, uh, I thought what Carl Rove brought up was brilliant. He said, listen, she also stands as symbolic, somebody in the Democratic side that would not acknowledge defeat exactly what they want to say about Donald Trump. He does not acknowledge defeat. Well, you started it. And 2016 began it. Now, even though Hillary Clinton conceded, she did not for the rest of the four years ever really concede. The Russians had something to do with it. I have my doubts about the election. When people like John Lewis stood up and said he's illegitimate, she never said, no, no, I lost fair and square. Ever did that happen. They always blamed the Russians or some other reason or brought up that she won the popular vote, which is not how things are done. So when Stacey uh, Abrams stands there, number one, she wants to win. Even though Joe Biden won that state, it seems, by 12,000 votes, not a huge margin. She says she was robbed and she needs every vote to prove that she wasn't robbed. She has one advantage in that Republican, the Republican, most powerful Republican is uh, Donald Trump, and he hates Brian Kemp, the sitting governor that, that beat her, and he could divide the constituency, the Republican constituency, because Michael, because Senator Perdue is running against him, so that could divide things and create some bitterness, and maybe people stay home. Number two, so she symbolizes, I don't lose, and she symbolizes what, uh, Joe Biden is a loser. 
Right now, you look, Biden can't get out of his own way. Afghanistan is something he's never going to recover from. The Russian negotiation shows his international uh, weakness. Inflation dollars affect every single American. Supply chain problems are a reality. You can't deny anyone of it. The national quit that took place, they put uh, the national quit rate of 4.4% is an all-time high. And then we add not 400,000 jobs, but 199,000 jobs last month. Maybe that's part of the reason. Why you have some quotes here from some other black leaders from Black Votes Matter. Uh, the name is Latasha Brown. Why Latasha is not coming? We're beyond speeches at this point. What we need, what we're demanding, is federal legislation. James Woodall, former president of the NAACP of Georgia. Uh, tells the New York Times, we do not need any more speeches. We don't need any more platitudes. We don't need any more photo ops. We need action. And that actually is the form of the John Lewis voting right, as well as the uh, as the Freedom Vote Act. So that's what they're looking to see. And so far, we have not uh, seen that, obviously, since then. Joe Biden's got some political problems. And this is, to me, shows how politically dense he is without any instincts, without any good surrounding. Is there an expert around him? Is there a David Axelrod, a Karl Rove that's going to help him through this? It doesn't seem it, or else it wouldn't be going here. Here's Dave Ignatius. Even though he does mostly international stuff, he can actually read what's going on here. Uh, cut 33. We can't uh, read Stacey Abrams' mind, obviously, about what's going on today. But it's clear that President Biden has increasing trouble uh, with activists in his party. He has trouble on voting rights where people think he's just not being aggressive enough, that he, as Reverend Al said, he should have moved earlier, he should have moved more aggressively. He has similar problems with the Progressive Caucus. People are still furious that Build Back Better has been stalled. And so it's just a, a moment where Joe Biden's difficulties with his own party of being able to assure people he's got the numbers to get key pieces of legislation passed, I think is is becoming his, his big problem. And Stacey Abrams, Abrams' absence, whatever it's caused, is just a visible symbol of a president who's just not pulling his party strongly enough together. She says, uh, he said, uh, excuse me, she said she has a conflict. Really? President of the United States coming to Georgia. You want to be governor of Georgia and you have a conflict? Really? So now the president's going to try to get some heat, some attention, even though he's not going to speak till 3 o'clock. And guess what happened last night around 11 Eastern time? That uh, happened around 11 o'clock. It was a Georgia Bulldog win of national championship, first one since 1980. So that, I think, is going to garner a little bit more attention with a president that can't deliver a speech, doesn't excite an audience, was not Donald Trump. That's how he got elected. And, and by the way, the reason why he's got the, technically the majority in the, in, in the Senate is because of Georgia. So right now they expect the president to come out there and talk about how voting rights are being taken away by minorities and say a bunch of inaccuracies about that uh, the uh, changes to election laws for the most part. Uh, almost uh, 100% these changes were made because the pandemic, even though not technically over, is over and that we're living with it uh, two weeks to or three weeks to slow the spread. We are two years past that meaning you don't need a drop box in every block, meaning you don't need extended, extended early voting time. That means you don't need as you don't have to have as many people in as many places. That means you have time to get an ID and make sure that you actually live in Georgia and are resident of Georgia. 
And that's the type of thing that you say is oppressing the vote. It's not oppressing the vote. Most of the stuff they do makes it easy to vote, and they do even in Delaware. And that's been brought up before. It would help if the Republicans could marshal some type of offensive besides saying they're wrong just to say why he's right, saying there's no Sunday voting. It's going to close at 5 o'clock. That was flat out wrong. Is he going to go do that again? So many times I say to myself, they got to have a staffer fact check his speeches before he gives them, and he gives the same speech over and over again, despite the fact that they were wrong when he first read them, when he first said them. But they don't let him interview, and they and they and they don't get him off message. We'll see what he says when we come back. I'm going to be able to sneak in some calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. But first, I'm going to do a simulcast, a simulcast with Stuart Varney of Fox Business Network. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, we get to your calls shortly to finish up this hour, but right now I'm going to be doing a simulcast on FBN, the fastest growing station in business, in uh, cable television, which is also caught on streaming. Stuart Varney, the number one show on the network, will be joining me shortly. Uh, we're going to be talking about just about everything, including a little bit of sports. So we'll share audiences. So I hope you don't mind being shared. So let's see if when he's ready to go to us right now, he's going over crude oil. It's at 79%, which I didn't think. I thought it was around 80. Let's listen. 51 East Coast, and you know what that means? Kilmeade's here. All right, Brian, let's talk football. Georgia beat Bama, first national championship since 1980. Who was your money on? Well, I'll tell you what. I really thought Alabama was going to prevail again, uh, despite how how good Georgia looked in the semifinals. The one thing I find almost comical is that, once again, Georgia's in the eye of the storm, this time for a good reason. Remember, the All-Star game was pulled out. Then the Braves come out and win the the national champion, excuse me, win the World Series. Herschel Walker, of course, a Georgia Bulldog. Maybe that's a good sign for him. They win a national championship, and he hopes to win that Senate seat. And then a time in which Joe Biden is going to Georgia to talk about voting rights because it is Jim Crow 2.0, which is an insult for people that live through Jim Crow. He goes out there. He's got trouble catching attention anyway. Now he's going to go show up, and the backdrop is a national champion coming to town for the first time since 1980. Unbelievable. I think Herschel Walker may get a shot in the arm from this, actually. He's a football He's a Republican. He's running for the Senate in Georgia. And the Bulldogs, he's a former Bulldog, isn't he, Herschel Walker? Absolutely. He left and went to the USFL and played for this guy named, it's on the tip of my tongue, Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. And that's yeah. how their friendship really took root. Uh, and then he became a UFC champion and did everything else that he did from a bobsled Olympian uh, now he wants to dominate in the Senate, and let's see what happens as he tries to get this nomination. But all eyes point to Georgia, and who's not showing up? Stacey yeah. Abrams. What Stacey an embarrassment. Abrams. Right. That's right. Right. What a distraction. <laughs> I mean, it's a difficult speech to make in this environment in Georgia at the moment. I'm going to move on. President Biden ran on the campaign promise to shut down the virus. Remember this? Roll tape. As I said before, I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'll shut down the virus, not the economy. Okay, but listen to this. We just got new numbers, new cases reported on Monday. 1,483,656. That was just what was reported on Monday. 
He hasn't shut down the virus at all. In fact, these new cases are hitting record numbers. It's, a, it's another failure, Brian. I mean, I've been talking about this on the radio show, Stuart. I don't know where to start. First off, the thing that you can't, you can't prevent a new variant, but for not anticipating it, I would fire everyone on my pandemic task force. Why does he go out there alone? Why don't we hear from that guy, Jeff Zeitz, or whatever his name is, to tell me why he wasn't able to earmark this next variant, why he was not able to pre-order tests that would come up during the previous administration? That's called filling out an invoice. Why don't you get some stats? Why do we have to go to Israel and the U.K. and Germany in order to get the stats to find out how effective the vaccines are, whether we do need a booster, depending on the ages? And why did he suddenly come around to understand that keeping schools open and getting back to work is something that America has to do. That is something Donald Trump said and got vilified for. It's too dangerous. Well, thanks to Joe Biden and his party, people have been really good people, are really concerned and scared to go outside their house, to go to a mall, to get in their car. Mm. We're watching the CDC director indoors wearing a double mask again. And while the president walks alone on the beach with a mask and his dog, it's been a disaster. That's why all he talks about is January 6th. But it's it totally let us down. But it, it seems like we're, we're moving towards a consensus in America, not yes. elsewhere in the world, a consensus that we've got to live with it. We cannot eradicate it. We've got to live with it. So get these restrictions off. I think we're coming to a consensus for that. 30 seconds to you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I watch uh, Julie Pace and the AP say basically that on uh, This Week with George Stephanopoulos uh, over the weekend and say, listen, do you realize um, Democrats and Republicans are fed up? They've tried it your way. It's not working. And the American people are standing up. And the mandate is the next thing is a bridge too far. Now you're telling me to get a booster. Soon you're going to be, get this, in one month we're going to get an yep. Omicron booster. Omicron booster. Yeah. That'll well, be a fourth gone. shot. And it's now gone. they expire in a year. We don't have enough deltoid room for all the shots we're going to be getting. <laughs> enough. Americans are fed up. We're going to come together on this. Good stuff. Brian, thanks for joining us. You work like crazy. You really do. I, 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 I envy you. I envy you your youth and energy, young man. Thank That's you. The way it is. Uh, thank you, welcome. Stuart. Back <laughs> at you. Uh, and listen, let's go open up the phones now. Let's go out to Georgia again where Brenda is, one 408 7669 Hey, Brenda. Hey. Hello. Hey, you're on. Hi. Um, I just wanted to um, confirm what you're saying, I guess, because... I work in elections in Georgia, and the new Senate Bill 202 does not suppress voters. The early voting hours have been extended to the point that they required a second Saturday of early voting. They made the hours longer hours on Saturdays, and the Sunday voting is optional. It's up to the counties. If they need it, they can do it. And um, the, what they've cut, the time they've cut off is milling out of absentee ballots. And believe me, as an elections worker, that's a good thing because there's so many ballots that we mail out that last week that we never get back. So, Brenda, listen for the speech today to point off. out the inaccuracies. Thanks so much. Brian, Long Island. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. Uh, yeah, you brought up Afghanistan. I wanted to point out the $86 billion in military equipment that we just left over there. And, and I want to say that I didn't like Donald Trump's tweets either. And, and I wasn't you know, a huge fan of everything. But he was opening the books, and, and, and he was showing the corruption that, that was D.C. And I, and I think that, that
that is why it became a full court press. So everyone had to get him out because because the special interests didn't want their money going away. And 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 you're talking about Mr. Main special interest himself. The guy who sold himself to China, sold himself to Russia. He, he's, he's making money through the side door. It, it, it's absolutely disgusting. I know. Listen, even in Kazakhstan, Hunter Biden's linked to Kazakhstan. Thanks so much. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, We're going to be joined by General Kellogg in a matter of moments because of the news coming out overseas about the emergency meetings we're having with the Secretary of State and Wendy Sherman and uh, the diplomatic corps of the Biden administration with the leaders of the uh, Russians and then NATO in order to stop the Russians' march towards reconstituting, for lack of a better term, the Soviet Union. Bottom of the hour, Congressman Lee Zeldin, who wants to run New York, has come out forward and said, right now, that district attorney should be recalled in Manhattan because he doesn't want to prosecute crime. And we're seeing this some of the horrific stories, one of which I just read. A 67-year-old just waiting on a, on a platform in a subway, uh, beat senseless this woman by two thugs just so they could take her phone. The night before, a 19-year-old shot working at Burger King, gave the money up. They punched the, they, the, the, this woman. They punched out the manager as a woman. They pistol-whipped the customer, took her money, and then shot her dead. So that's the stuff that we're going to continue to watch these cities, these horrific crimes happen. Uh, will Congressman Lee Zeldin, will he have a legitimate shot at being governor, and would he change things? So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. If Russia chooses to roll across the Ukrainian frontier and further invade Ukraine beyond the incursions it has already made, the United States will respond. We will respond with our allies with severe sanctions uh they won already russia got their one-on-one time uh with the u.s and nato and vladimir putin has gotten more from president Biden than any other previous president but is it worth it if we avoid an invasion of the ukraine i say no and i'll explain why and ask the general that number two it is extraordinary that the president and vice president of the united states are going to georgia to talk about voting rights and the most prominent democrat and prominent voting rights groups in the state have decided not to attend it is huge. Our right to vote is being threatened by, you guessed it, Republicans. That's uh, what the great unifier President Biden will express today in Georgia. When, of course, he'll say Jim Crow 2.0, which means he has not read the uh, the voting changes in uh, Georgia. But guess who's giving Biden the cold shoulder? And that is Stacey Abrams. Number one. I think what they're thinking is if we don't just say vaccination is everything and avoid everything else that people are going to get confused. I disagree with that. Tell the American people the way it is with some of the nuances and people will make the right decisions. So I am very disappointed. I think the messaging has been confusing. No kidding. Get it right. Three years into this pandemic, we still don't know how well the vaccines work. Why? We're being mandated to get boosters if they're even necessary and why the tests are not even uh, that we don't have access to tests uh, at a moment's notice. What about the death rate? What are these people really dying from? Why are they actually hospitalized? Anthony Fauci right now is sparring with Senator Rand Paul and CDC Director Walensky will bring you that give and take. But first things first, I have not taken my eyes off what's happening over in Eastern Europe. When you see in Belarus, when the unpopular leader decides he loses an election, call on Russia to keep him in power, and he stays. 
I have not taken my eyes off Georgia, where they went into Georgia years ago under the Bush administration, and they've stayed. I have not taken my eyes off uh, Kazakhstan, where a week ago the Kazakhstan dictator uh, was people are rising up because they can't get gas and basic goods. And guess what? When he's about to lose power, they call Russia, and he stays. In fact, they said they averted a disaster. And they're still in the Ukraine, and they want more. Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg had that on his things-to-do list when he was a national security advisor to Mike Pence and uh, chief of staff of the National Security Council for President Trump. Uh, General, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Good uh, to be here. And by the way, your book is excellent, War by, a War by Other Means, a general in the Trump uh, White House. General, some people are saying Vladimir Putin won by getting the one-on-one with the virtual one-on-one with President Biden last week and then getting his diplomatic corps to meet with NATO and the U.S. this week. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I think he's outplaying Biden. I really do. And I, look, I look at the lineup that the administration has over there right now. When you look at somebody like Wendy Sherman, who's actually doing the negotiations with uh, the Russians right now, she's the same one who uh, brought you that great deal with North Korea under Obama. She's the same one who brought you the Iranian nuclear deal uh, under Obama. You know, she's not a really great negotiator. And I think he's actually playing at a better playing level than we are. And we've kind of gone in there and we've kind of said things and we haven't really pushed back hard on them. You know, Ukraine, you know, Brian, to me, Ukraine's a sovereign state. And we ought to remind the the Russians that in the Minsk agreement in 1991, when the, they dissolved the Soviet Union, they all agreed to that. They said, hey, that's, you know, part of, it's a sovereign state. And we should recognize that. Here's where I think they should be going, though, Brian, is, look, the Russians are pushing no NATO advancement, uh, and they consider NATO advancement as destabilizing. I'd finesse it. And I'd say, if I, if I was advising the president, I'd say, here's how you finesse it. You can say to Putin, okay, well, I understand NATO involvement. It'll take years for that to happen. It takes all 30 countries uh, to, to agree to them to come in under Article 10 of the treaty. And then it takes two-thirds of the Senate. So, you know, that'll be a little bit before they even can come into NATO. But at the same time I'd doing that, I'd be putting more arms into Ukraine than, than they could support. I'd make it an unsinkable aircraft carrier. And then I'd turn to Putin and I'd say, you know, remember what happened? to you in Afghanistan, that actually caused the downfall, the start of the downfall of the Soviet Union. If you want to start the downfall of Russia, you come on into the Ukraine, you, we send, well, we, or Ukraine sends back all those body bags, and you won't be around until 2036, because you'll be gone. And he believes and understands force. This administration is not pushing back using force or strong language. It's kind of just diplomatic doublespeak, and I don't think it's affecting Putin at all. If he and, thinks, and the reason I say that... And the general, I, I there's nothing you said wrong, but you don't want to bring up Afghanistan with this administration because nothing was more embarrassing than when we left <laughs> Afghanistan. Oh, it was, no, it was a, it, it, when I say it was a debacle, that's a, that's a kind of a kind word to say. It was worse than that. I mean, it was, it was absolutely uh, devastating. We've left Americans behind. There's still Americans there, and we haven't gotten our allies out. Uh, but that was just a pattern. You know, Brian, I really believe that presidents set patterns, how they operate. Biden has set a pattern. Remember, Joe Biden is the same guy that Bob Gates, the former director of the CIA yep. and former Secretary of Defense, said he's been nearly wrong on every uh, uh, national security decision in the last 40 years. He's also the same guy, and I think this is the one compelling note, that when they were making the decision to go get Osama bin Laden, Joe Biden in the situation said, don't go. I mean, that that is damning unto itself. Uh, so I, I just don't think he's got the... Uh, and I think Putin's got his his number on it. And I what, here's what makes me more nervous, though, today reading the uh, an article in the New York Times that he's beefing up his logistics strength, he, Putin. 
That's the real indicator. That's the tell. When you start building up logistic support behind your, your your fighting elements, that means you plan on doing something. And that's the to me is the tell. And I think he's setting himself up to do something, if not only the talks, which I don't think anything happened yesterday, but also the Russia-NATO talks this week, and then the Russia-OSCE talks, uh, which are happening at the end of this week as well. If nothing comes out of it, he's going to leverage. Here's the biggest concern I've also got. I think we're heading for another tripartite pact that we remember the, back in the 40s with the Germans, the Italians, and the Japanese. You could be heading to one where you see it's the Chinese, the Russians, and the Iranians coming together. That would be a, a real threat to the United States. As well. and, and it's happening right now. They're coming at us at almost the same time, and it's, it seems to be taking place. Something's got to discourage them, and they got to feel a little uneasy. They were very uneasy about Ronald Reagan in office. They were very uneasy about Donald Trump in office. They couldn't figure him out. And that's what's got to come. He's too predictable, and he all he wants to do is have a predictable relationship with the Russians who want anything but that. So here is John Kirby yesterday, the Pentagon spokesperson, on the progress of these talks. Cut 34. We've seen no major uh, uh, changes to the force posture by the Russians uh, in the border areas around Ukraine. Uh, there continues to be a sizable element there. Um, so nothing specific to, to speak to, at least in, in a macro sense. Um, and I would just refer you to back to what Deputy Secretary Sherman said when asked about those those comments. I mean, she was very clear that if the Russians are serious about de-escalating, they can start by uh, by starting to remove some of those troops from de- decreasing some of that, that force posture. And they warned us not to give the Ukrainians any of these lethal weapons. And number two is what I worry about is us agreeing not to make the Ukrainians a member of NATO or anybody and then saying, telling us what can be deployed and not deployed in these NATO nations. That would be a bridge too far, wouldn't it, for General Kellogg? Yeah, it really is, Brian. You're absolutely correct in in that regard. But I think we need to play – we need to be a little bit strategically – uh, have better sense for it. And, and this administration doesn't. It's very predictable. I think that's the reason I made that comment earlier. What you want to do is, is, you know, the old tennis term, back foot somebody. You keep everybody off balance. And I think you need to keep Putin off balance. He's not off balance at all. He knows exactly what he's doing. And that's what you have to push them asymmetrically or do something different. And Trump was really good about that. And I mean, I was there. He made four, 18 phone calls to Putin. And I was, you know, on the listening end of all of them out there. And, and they had a good relationship, but he always had a strategic sense. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. I don't think I don't think Biden does. He had to have the right people. He's not putting the good strategic sense in place. And the other one is I'd remind the, the Europeans, hey, look, this had been going on for almost 10 years. You haven't done anything about this. But I'd also at the same time say, what's in this for America? How do we make sure that this does not impact America negatively? And how do we do it going forward? And I, that's the reason I would say you need to be a little more slick about how you handle it, a little more finesse to doing it. But I'd keep arming Ukraine. I'd put so much armament in there. Uh, they'd try, you know, you, as I said, making them unsinkable aircraft carrier. And they haven't done that. The, the only people who have given them arms that have been offensive arms, that I call them offensive arms, has been Donald Trump when we gave him the Javelin missiles. Obama never gave him that. Obama gave him blankets and and uh, nice uh, nice notes, and neither has the Europeans, and they need to do that. So um, uh, Vladimir Putin says that he feels threatened on his borders, and that's what caused and he, when he's getting these meetings. Do you feel as though he has a case to be made? He said, look, that used to be the Warsaw Pact, and they used to be part of the Soviet Union, and now it's part of NATO. You're right on our doorstep. Uh, this has yeah. got to stop. Do you understand his point of view? Do you think he means yeah, that when he says he feels look, threatened? 
you know, here's where I come from. I, I'm a big believer in there was a Chinese military philosopher called Sun Tzu who basically said, you understand yourself and understand the enemy, you're going to win all your fights. You understand only yourself, not the enemy, you're going to win half the time. You don't understand yourself or the enemy, you're not going to win at all. So you need to sometimes turn and look and say, why is he saying that? You know, he goes back, he, he's one of these guys who thinks he's Peter the Great again. And he goes back to what Brezhnev was told by, uh, he, you know, at that time when we unified East and West Germany, uh, that Sec uh, Secretary of State Baker at the time said, well, we're not going to expand any more to the East. And then, of course, we added Poland, we added the three Baltic states. So he comes at it thinking he's a, an aggrieved party. And part of that is you have to kind of take that off the table. You have to kiss, no, this is really not true. And that's why I said, make sure he understands that Ukraine is a sovereign state. But then how do you finesse it going forward? So you have to at least appreciate what he says. I don't think he say you have to agree with it because I don't agree with it at all. But you have to at least appreciate where he's coming from. And remember, Brian, with the Russian Constitution, the way they've changed it, he can be in power until 2036. He's already been through four U.S. presidents. This guy's going to be around a while. So how do you deal with him? Here's how you deal with him. You deal with him from strength. You make him understand that we're not going to back down from him, we're not afraid of him, and we're going to apply all the pressures that we can on him to make sure he doesn't violate the norms of diplomacy. What could Republicans do to, being that it's in our nation's best interest, to not weaken President Biden's hand, but at the same time express concern? Well, I think what they ought to do is I would come up with a plan in Congress that basically enforces, reinforces the arming of, of Ukraine. And I would send them a lot more armament. I'd make sure they do it. And I'd press the, the NATO allies to, as Europeans, not as NATO, but to send them more weapons as well. You want to make sure that Putin understands one thing. If you invade Ukraine, the price you pay is something you cannot stand because, because the Russian mothers will turn on you and the Russian population will turn on you. So what they ought to come up with is a plan of how do we continue to reinforce and strengthen Ukraine as, as a nation, primarily militarily, because that's what Russia understands. They haven't done that. There's been no plan to really give them more armament other than what Trump did. And Trump was the first guy who actually gave them more offensive weapons because the Javelins are the best anti-tank systems in the world. But we haven't given them anything uh, beyond that. We need to give them anti-aircraft systems, radar systems, any type of offensive systems that we can, and make sure the Russians know that they would pay a price uh, that they can't afford. So we spoke to uh, we spoke to um, uh, Kevin Hastert. We spoke to uh, a few other Trump officials. If he runs again and he asks you to go back, would you go back? Would you go back, General Kellogg? Absolutely. If he asked me, I'd be there right now. Absolutely. He's building a great team. He's got a great team in waiting. You know, there's a group called the America First Policy Institute that's out there that's put together a really good, basically a transition team in waiting. It's really smart with 22 different centers out there, but, uh, you know, led by Brooke Rollins, who was the domestic policy chief. And I think I would love to go back. I think he, I really do think, Brian, that he was good for America. We Nobody can criticize our policies. I don't care if it was Afghanistan or immigration or what we did in, in national security, even working with Kim Jong-un. I think we had it right. I think Biden's got it wrong. Yeah, and um, real quick, do you, have you been cooperating with this uh, January 6th committee, and should uh, the president be concerned about that, the former president? No, he shouldn't. I mean, I, did I, I went there. I testified there under oath. I was under subpoena, but I uh, we spent seven hours there. I had a lawyer with me, a really pretty good guy there, a guy named John Cole. Um, 
I will say it was um, an abrasive session. How about the best way to put it? And I called the president afterwards, and I talked to President Trump, and I said, sir, let me tell you why it's, it's important that some of us stand out there and go toe-to-toe with these guys. I sat in that, in that room. There were three Democratic lawyers, and the Republican seat for the lawyer was empty. Somebody needs to fight back. Somebody needs to tell them on the record – uh, in testimony, hey, here's how you guys have got this wrong. And I'm not afraid to do it. I did it under the Mueller Commission. I, I did it then. Um, and, and I basically pushed back really, really hard because I wanted to be on record that somebody was up there standing up for what we did. And by the way, Brian, they're just not talking January 6th. They brought up things that had nothing to do with January 6th. They brought up the Afghanistan discussion. They brought up political military affairs. And I told them, this has got nothing to do with gotcha. 6th January. But they didn't care. They're looking at something to pin on President Trump. It's, a, it's an anti-Trump panel gotcha. is what it is. General Kellogg, thanks so much for the insight. Always educational. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. When we come back, your turn, one 408 7669 Then Congressman Lee Zeldin. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. So I ask myself, wh- why would Senator want to do this? So go to Rand Paul website and you see fire Dr. Fauci with a little box that says... Contribute here. You can do $5, $10, $20, $100. So you are making a catastrophic epidemic for your political gain. So the you only have thing politically that, the only attacked thing your can, colleagues uh, the, and in a politically reprehensible the only way thing that attacked their reputations. Okay, you we, won't defend it. No, you won't well, argue it. I'm You'll sorry, just simply turn we're going around to the continue attack. continue this hearing. We yeah. have a number of questions. Right. So Dr. Fauci was holding up a Rand Paul website that says, uh, you know, uh, fire Fauci. I'm not for that, uh, by, uh, by the way, either. You know, so if you want to put together a profile on different things that you have done, attack uh, Fauci, uh, reduce government spending, do things, I don't really think you should be making money off uh, your testimony. That's how I feel. If a super PAC is doing that, you can't really control that. But Dr. Fauci held it up, and he's prepared. That's how freaked out he is by Senator Rand Paul. He knows about this sparring session. He knows he's going to get a cakewalk. It's not going to be Chuck Todd kissing his butt with George Stephanopoulos asking, how do I get better, or how do we avoid this virus? So Margaret Brennan says, when is it going to be over? Those are the questions he loves, but those aren't the questions he needs to be asked. So I appreciate Listen, I've had my problem with Rand Paul, especially in foreign policy. I don't have any problem on that. But whoever put out the fundraising thing made him extremely vulnerable right there. When we come back, he wants to be governor of New York, and he can do it. Governor Lee Zeldin joins us live. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Why did you change your mind, and why is it acceptable for non-citizens to vote in an American election? No, I did not change my mind. I supported the concept of the bill. The one aspect that I had a problem with and I thought was problematic was the 30-day part of being in the country for 30 days was the place that I had questions. And I sat down with my colleagues. I'm a big believer in uh, conversation. We have to start talking to each other and not at each other. And after hearing their rationale and their theories behind it, uh, I thought it was more important to not veto the bill or get in the way at all and allow the bill to move forward. And so I think it's imperative that people who are in a local municipality have the right to 
decide who's going to govern them. And I support the overall concept of that bill. Well, it's a, it's a travesty and a train wreck. Municipal elections will allow non-citizens to vote. And uh, the candidate, the mayor-elect, Eric Adams, said, yeah, I'm not for that. In fact, I was speaking to an immigration attorney who's way to the left. He's on a feature, Michael Wiles. He's on a feature I'm doing that's going to be on Fox Nation uh, looking at Ellis Island. And he says, listen, uh, I'm not for this. I think you've got to actually pledge allegiance to a country, take an oath of office uh, to your country before you vote in any elections, big or small. I thought that went without saying, but not anymore. That is why you can't federalize elections. If that is the mindset of the Democratic Party, that's an issue. Let's bring in Congressman Lee Zeldin now, New York Republican uh, gubernatorial candidate, wants to get the nomination and do something that nobody's done since Governor Bataki, and that's be a Republican and go to Albany and run the state. Congressman, welcome back. Oh, it's always great to be with you, Brian. Got a lot of co- progress we want to make, but first things first, on that, that's a big deal to me. Is it to you? Oh, big time. One person, one vote. A principle that applies to United States citizens. If you want to vote in American elections, you need to be an American citizen. The one person, one vote right ends up getting diluted when you allow non-citizens to vote. Now, while New York City's actions only apply towards their local municipal elections, this is something where if we don't successfully push back on now, I could see the Democratic Party trying to do more of this uh, with other elections at other levels. And uh, so even if you are on the other coast or anywhere in between in, in our country, you need to be part of this effort to fight back on what New York City is doing because it could be coming to a city, state, or maybe even country near you. It's like the uh, bluest place in America. If you win the nomination in New York City, you, you get the job. And that's what happened with with this Alvin Bragg, this district attorney, he put out a 10-page uh, memo where he said, hey, here's my hey, uh, prosecutors, this is what I don't want you to do. And that's basically prosecute crime, including things like resisting arrest. And if you do a home invasion and you catch the guy, but he's not in where the family is, if he's in like the detached garage or a storage area, let's make it a mis- Let's just downgrade that in terms of charging people. And let's talk about emptying out Rikers Island because there's problems there. This has caused outrage. So far, the mayor has not spoken up vociferously against it. In fact, he's been more supportive of him. Describe how Lee Zeldin feels about Alvin Bragg. Here he is, cut 41. And I look forward to sitting down and, and, and talking with her. You know, I think there are some things I hope to get into the details on them that that um, just, you know, are not so. Um, uh, the memo was intended for, you know, our our internal uh, lawyer audience. We're all focused on on safety, as, as our, our mayor has said. Uh, and so I look forward to talking with the commissioner uh, and, and uh, you know, addressing uh, any concerns she may still have. Right. The commissioner came out and she basically said uh, she is outraged by his lack of ability to uh, go after any criminals. She said this, I've studied these policies and I'm very concerned about the implication of your safety on police officers, the safety of the public and justice for victims. I'm making my concerns known to the Manhattan DA and hope to have a frank and productive discussion to try and reach common ground. That's a Democratic assigned New police commissioner, Keechit Sewell uh, from Nassau County, who's saying, I am upset by this. Are you? Oh, big time. I mean, if, if Alvin Bragg doesn't want to do his job enforcing the law, he shouldn't have run for district attorney in the first place. Under the New York State Constitution, the governor of the state of New York has the authority to remove the district attorney if they refuse to enforce the law because Alvin Bragg took an oath that he was going to enforce the law. And DA stands for district attorney, not defense attorney. If he wants to keep criminals out of 
the prison system, then he can go be a defense attorney. That memo isn't about more security. You pointed out great examples. And an armed robbery being treated as a petty larceny? Are, are you kidding me? The NYPD commissioner is speaking up on behalf of all these officers who kiss their, their spouses goodbye, their sons, daughters. They don't know what kind of risk they're going to have that day. They go out at great harm to themselves. They're, let's say, going mm-hmm. after a suspect for an armed robbery. They put together a great case. They put the evidence, all the papers work, the statements, they submit it to the prosecutor, and then they treat it as a petty larceny. You mentioned just some of the examples of what they're not going to prosecute at all, trespassing, uh, fair jumping, uh, and traffic, traffic infractions, resisting arrest. That list goes on of all sorts of crimes across the board he is refusing to even prosecute. So he's refusing to do his job. The governor of the state of New York needs to do hers and needs to remove Alvin Bragg as district attorney. That is how you promote public safety. I would think so. Uh, plus, you know, the little things like there was a cop shot last night in Los Angeles. We see what happened. Uh, we, we see what happened on Sunday with the 19 year old being killed at a Burger King. We see last night on, on I think, 96th Street, a 67 year old woman waiting on a platform gets beat up for her phone. Now, I'm not saying crime didn't exist when Ray Kelly and William Bratton were there, but there was a sense that there was going to be hell to pay if caught. And if there's no if there's no uh, a sense that there's going to be any type of. Uh, time done, then people are going to take this risk, especially many of which who are out of a job, not working, and feel this is more lucrative. I mean, yesterday we found out, uh, too, uh, we found out, too, in San Francisco, did another huge smashing grab. How soon to that's happening here? Yeah, Organelle's retail crime is something that takes place. It's, it is a thing, but unfortunately, AOC and others are denying that it's even taking place when what we should be doing is not just acknowledging that it's even happening, but figuring out how to ramp up the system, more resources, more tools in order to be able to fight back on it. You were talking about earlier the, the closing of, of Rikers Island. When the the bill called Less Is More was signed by Governor Kathy Hochul, which would release criminals early from prison, while doing that, she released 191 prisoners from Rikers Island, and instantly, the New York Post covered this, within uh, you know, the first couple of weeks, a whole bunch of them went out and committed additional offenses. We've heard these stories with Cashless Bell. They're closing prisons based on political calculations in the state. All across New York are these examples of where law enforcement doesn't have the back, uh, doesn't uh, have elected officials looking out for them and giving them the tools that they need. Judges can't weigh dangerousness, uh, dangerousness or flight risk or past criminal record when setting bail. And these are policies, again, going back to the, the non-citizens voting example, these are criminal uh, justice-related issues, public safety-related issues, where even if you live you know, 1,500 miles away from New York, these are policies that you have people in Washington looking to replicate nationally. So we have to tell the story of why these are failed policies to make sure that more state capitals and cities and even Congress, that these aren't being adopted elsewhere. When is your, uh, when are the Republicans going to pick their candidate? So the state Republican Party and state conservative party conventions are coming up next month. Uh, In order to be the endorsed Republican candidate, we need 50 percent of the vote at the state Republican convention. Uh, We've publicly now locked up over 91 percent of the vote, 58 of 62 counties. Uh, County Republicans uh, have endorsed us. 
and then the state conservative party convention, because in New York we have multiple parties, uh, you need 50 percent of the vote at their convention. We're now publicly up over 87 percent uh, of endorsements. So things are moving well. I mean, the fundraising, the endorsements, we're working hard. The issues are on our side, and even Democrats, too. They, they feel like this is it, that, that you have to fight back. Their wallets, their safety, their freedom, their kids' education, it's all under attack. Uh, and people are fleeing New York every single day. You can't just sit back and take this, accept this status quo. We have an opportunity to save New York. I'm going to do my part. I am all in. I am not in this race to come in second. Rob Astorino has got the nomination before uh, in Westchester, and then you have – uh, Andrew Giuliani, who worked at the White House for a few years and is a really good golfer. Uh, how, why are you better? I would welcome their support. I've won now seven consecutive races in purple New York City suburban districts. I've taken out two incumbents along the way in the state Senate in 2010 for a House seat in 2014. Won a tough Republican primary along the way where they spent over $4 million against me. We won by over 20 points. Um, background, military, uh, I love our country. I have ideas on how to... Make sure that our streets are safe. I unapologetically support law enforcement. I believe that parents should be more involved in their kids' education. There's so many opportunities on all these issues, and we're confident that we have the ideas that are so much better than the one-party Dem rule right now that's destroying the state. Right now, on your other job, full-time job, is you're a congressman, and you know the president of the United States is going to be in Georgia. Without Stacey Abrams by his side and other public officials, he's going to be making statements that the— State houses in Republican-run states and legislators have made it impossible for minorities to vote, and we need to federalize elections. Will that resonate in the House and Senate? Well, I think that there are people uh, who are in the House and the Senate, Democrats, who play along with that rhetoric, that line. Uh, Unfortunately, you're not dealing with people— Uh, with straight, honest talk here. Uh, I don't believe that we should have ballot harvesting nationally, but that resonates with these Democrats who are in Congress. I don't believe that we should ban voter ID across the country. As a matter of fact, I think every state in the entire country should have voter ID. There's a clearly, between President Biden and his allies in Congress, a very different vision on election integrity. And for me, I believe that it should be as easy as possible for legal voters to be able to cast their one vote, uh, but it also should be, we should always be pursuing opportunities to make it harder to cheat. Absolutely. I know it looks like Kevin McCarthy has told Breitbart that if he becomes speaker, he's going to push to have Adam Schiff, uh, Elon Omar, and Eric Swalwell kicked off committees. Do you think that's the right tone to set? Uh, I, I was actually the first person to say Elon Omar shouldn't have been appointed to the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, I believe that it, it is important for us to have people who aren't promoting uh, not just anti-Semitic, anti-American propaganda. And the, the Democrats, they have decided that they you know, are going to go there and choosing committee assignments for the minority party. Well, here, here we go. They open up the door. Uh, if, if anyone should be denied an opportunity to serve on one of these committees, it's someone like a, an Elon Omar, not just with the anti-Semitism, but the anti-American positions. Uh, it's time to fight back. Uh, we're fighting for the heart and soul of our, our country right now. We were talking about the heart and soul of our state uh, of New York. 
but everything is on the line. And if you stand for nothing here in this battle, you're going to end up with just the other side with more power, causing more damage. They want to radically transform our country. They lie to the American public. There are no consequences for it. They get reelected in big blue districts. We need to do our part when you're actually back in charge to make sure that we are fighting back successfully for there to actually be balance. Uh, and for us, from foreign policy to the southern border to our economy and more, energy policy, the list goes on, supply chain, inflation, we have a lot to do. And we can't just sit back and try to be nice and, and But you do, and you do worry about the precedent, though, right? So if the, when the Democrats eventually get the House back, they go ahead and fire a bunch of other— That's what uh, they're doing. Right. Well, they got. Yeah. Well, who have they removed? Bobert? So they, they, they uh, took away all the committee assignments of uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, they did it with Steve King. They uh, are talking about, they, they were threatening to do it with Lauren Bobert. Uh, you know, they, they denied uh, Jim Jordan and Jim Banks from serving on this January 6th commission. They opened up the door. Uh, they should have never done it. And quite frankly, there are people on their own side. If you're going to establish that as a standard, some of their own people wouldn't be serving on some of these committees. Gotcha. Wow, you're a busy guy. Uh, he's still Congressman Lee Zeldin. He wants to be Governor Lee Zeldin, but can't do that without the nomination. And that's his fight right now. Congressman, best of luck. All right, thank you. Take care. Always great to have you on. one 866 Take some calls and find out if there's indeed more to know next. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Biggest third down in Bryce Young's career. We need 10. Lake clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. And there you go. Number three, Georgia beats number one, Alabama, to win their first college football championship in 40-plus years. And uh, it was a pretty big game. Afterwards, this is how it sounded. And one more play for the Georgia defense. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone, and the drought is over. National champions at long last. I love the story of Stetson Bennett. Uh, he's a guy who had to go to junior college. He was a guy I walked on, was not starting at the beginning of the year, got better almost every single game, finished up 17 of 26, looked shaky early, but overcame it, and that's just awesome. Congratulations to Georgia, who also, you know, obviously the Braves are World Series champions. Good time to be Georgia. Maybe it's a good sign for Herschel Walker. Let's find out there's more to know. More to know. Uh, that, of course, it's a good, could be a good sign for Herschel Walker. While the President of the United States does go down to speak there, the number one story will be their Bulldogs. Uh, Fox News, CNN, MSC announced major hires and staffing shakeups. MSNBC, Simone Sanders goes right from Vice President Harris's staff, where she was communication director, to host a new weekend show. Uh, CNN announced NPR uh, veteran uh, Artie Cornish will join CNN. Um, their subscription service, where I think Chris Wallace is right now. And Jesse Waters will be hosting the seven and will also be doing the five. So I saw last night, Allison, that he has to say uh, toss to Brett, and then Brett's got to toss back to him. So it's like a bear sandwich. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's one way to look at it. Yeah. Absolutely. He's right in the middle. Next. 
911 calls reveal the full house legend Bob Saget found dead in his in his hotel room. His family could not get a hold of him. Listen to the 911 call. We have an unresponsive guest in a room. My officer is telling me that he that there's no pulse. Okay, non-responsive, not breathing. Yeah, not responsive, not breathing, and no pulse. Okay, stand the line for medical. One moment. So Saget spoke in a podcast last week about struggling with COVID. He said, it is not good. It does not feel good. I had it. He also had a very insightful interview of comments made about Betty White, uh, which I found uh, really interesting and thought-provoking. But it's sad. He looks like he had his hand over his heart and was found in his bed with the lights off. Yeah. No, I know. Do you think, I mean, everyone says he's such a kind and incredible guy, but do you think also the reason he's hitting America so much? Because he was like America's dad, so it's almost like... Our dad is all gone if you watch right. the full house. The other thing that brought up, too, he got fired from CBS and just on a lark. They called up and said, he want to audition for this show? It ended up being full house. Wow. Next, Betty White suffered a stroke six days before she died. Uh, that, according to the, the death certificate, why she suffered the stroke uh, right before her death. Quote, I was told that Betty passed in our uh, sleep peacefully without pain. To me, this is the most important thing. It brings me comfort, uh, according to her dear friend, Jeff Whitjoss. The document also confirmed that she was found dead in a Los Angeles home, that her death was not reported to a coroner, and that there was no autopsy or biopsy. Hey, she was 99. Uh, she passed away on December 31st. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Pick up The President and Freedom Fighter at BrianKillMe.com. It'll go if you want me to give you a personalized. It'll go right to my personal website. I'll sign it and send it. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.